Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. We're here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee, on our way to Columbia, South Carolina next weekend. Talk to you more about that a bit later in the broadcast. This is a special edition of Prophecy Today, Israel at War. We're going to be talking with our broadcast partners. We'll go to Winky Madad. He'll tell us what's happening in the center part of the state and in some of the villages where you have a mixed group of Arabs and Jews. And then Maurice Hirsch will give us the latest from the Palestinian media and what they're doing to incite this violence. John Root will talk about the European Union, what's happening there, and David James will give us some interesting information about Christians, for example, the ones in Bethlehem. You'll stay tuned and find out what's going on in the hot spot of the world this weekend. We're talking about the Middle East and in particular Israel. Well, let's go right now to Ken Timmerman. Ken, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad said this week that this would not have happened and it would not even have been possible without the generous help from the Islamic Republic of Iran. So it looks like Iran, major player behind what's going on. Well, Jimmy, you know, I have said for 25 years that we need to pay attention to what the jihadis say. We need to pay attention to what Muslim clerics say. Because when they are addressing their own people, they use uh, language which often is very clear. And this is one example of that. You have a mullah in Gaza, and you have a guy who is a spokesperson for the Quds Brigade, which is the military wing of Palestinian Islamic Jihad. You have these people saying quite openly, we thank the Iranian regime for their help, and without them we would not be able to launch rockets on Israel. We would not be able to carry out jihad. We would not be able to carry out the so-called resistance. So it is now coming out quite openly. This is something that the Iranians for many years tried to hide. They've tried to deny that they were supplying weapons to Gaza, to Hamas, to Palestinian Islamic Jihad. At one point in 2014, they even had their ambassadors around the world issuing dramatic, indignant statements. How dare you accuse us of supplying weapons? Our relationship to Hamas is merely political. It's nearly humanitarian. But, of course, it's been military all along. So I find it refreshing, (laughs) in a way, to listen to these jihadis tell us quite openly that their benefactor is and has always been the Iranian regime. Ken, I myself have been in Ashkelon there on the Mediterranean coast of Israel, and I have seen the remains of a grad missile, and it said right on the remains, made in Iran. I know exactly what is going on, and we were talking about with somebody the other day, the sophisticated missiles and rockets that are being sent at Israel. And in fact, the Palestinians are not the ones manufacturing those weapons. Would you say then, Ken, that this is a proxy war against Israel by the Iranians? Yes, it is a proxy war, and it's not the first. When I was in Israel for two wars ago, or maybe it's three now, in 2006, you know, that war began from Lebanon, 
and it began with Hezbollah fighters crossing into the border zone and kidnapping three Israeli soldiers. Well, we learned later that they did so at the direct orders of the Iranians. So Iran, for many years, has been willing to fight for Lebanon to the blood of the last Lebanese, just as now they're willing to fight for so-called Palestine to the blood of the last Palestinian. They love these proxy wars where they don't get directly involved, where it's harder for Israel to strike back at Iran, but it's easy for Iran to instigate its proxies into this, really what I can, can only call it, it's a will to genocide. The Palestinians in Gaza really just want to murder and maim as many civilians as they possibly can. That is their only goal in this conflict. And coming out of Iran itself, there's a report that the leader, the supreme leader of Iran, the Ayatollah, is backing the Palestinians, urging on the violent confrontation with the Israelis. So that's pretty much proof of what they're doing. Right, if there weren't a lot of other proof as well, but yes. Uh, Hamanei, for, you know, this is not the first time he's done it, but it is perhaps the most dramatic expression where he is quite literally inciting Palestinians to launch rockets on Israel over Twitter. I think it's pretty darned outrageous, frankly, and they have never taken any action against Hamanei for that. The supreme leader of Iran is not the only one speaking out. Turkey's president, Tayyip Erdogan, is telling Vladimir Putin that Israel needs a strong and deterrent lesson. I'm wondering what kind of lesson he's talking about, but it's going to be something against the Jewish state, it sounds like to me. Well, we don't know the full extent of Turkey's support for Gaza. They have played a more devious game, if you wish, than the Iranians, whose support is pretty much open. But Erdogan has been hosting Hamas leaders in uh, Ankara. They've come to visit him and top members of his regime. Uh, probably they came away with uh, at least financial support. Uh, they wouldn't go there otherwise. But we don't know what kind of other support Erdogan is, is giving to Hamas. We know, for example, that Turkey was deeply involved with the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. Hamas is part of the Muslim Brotherhood. We know that Turkey was supporting the Muslim Brotherhood against Gaddafi in Libya. Hamas, again, is part of the Muslim Brotherhood. So Turkey has a long track record of supporting Muslim Brotherhood organizations militarily as well as financial aid. So now he's talking to Putin. He's talking to other leaders in Europe. He's trying to gin up support in the Arab Muslim world against Israel. That's on the diplomatic front. But again, I say we don't yet know enough about Turkey's military support for Hamas. And I am quite certain that they're providing military support to Hamas. And at the same time, Erdogan calling Israel a terrorist state and saying that they seek to try to save Jerusalem. It's not for the Jewish people. It's for the benefit of Tayyip Erdogan is trying to revive, probably. Is that not the case? Well, I think so. And Turkey, again, is, is trying to throw its weight around. We've, we've seen this and talked about it on this show. They're involvement in Nagorno-Karabakh in the fight between Armenia and Azerbaijan earlier this year. They are trying to insert themselves here in the Arab-Israeli Abraham Accords between the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Morocco, Sudan, and Israel. So Turkey is, is trying to, I would say, punch above their weight. They're trying to show that they are a really major and central power player 
in the entire region. We'll have to see how much those other countries, in particular the Gulf Arab states, listen to them. And there I think Turkey will not have as much influence as they would like to have or claim to have. You spoke of the Abraham Accords. Looks like the Jerusalem violence is raising tensions between Israel and the Gulf states that they have a relationship with. Uh, That's not good for the peace in the Middle East, is it? Well, the Gulf Arabs and Morocco and, to a lesser extent, Sudan, are all a bit in a quandary here because they signed the Abraham Accords. They want to have economic relations with Israel. They want to have peace with Israel. Uh, and yet they have all, all of them been long-standing supporters of the Palestinians, at least the Palestinians in their right to have a peaceful state. Now, Hamas is different. And again, many of these leaders uh, in the UAE in particular, but Morocco as well, understand that Hamas is the Muslim Brotherhood, and they take a far more nuanced stand towards Hamas. They do not support Hamas. They've been condemning the Hamas rocket attacks, but where they get really on the fence is when it comes to Jerusalem and it comes to Al-Aqsa, the mosque up on the Temple Mount. And there they are insisting, and I think they're trying to weigh in with Israel, to allow freedom of worship up on the Temple Mount for Muslims. They have never asked for that for Jews, but uh, (laughs) they're asking for it for Muslims. And I think that's where you find this uh, a, a bit of ambivalence now among the Abraham Accord partners with Israel. They're a bit ambivalent between this traditional support for the Palestinians and their new support and economic relations with Israel. Let's return just a moment to Iran. I know they have an upcoming election. Hamadinejad, former president for eight years, is wanting to run again for president. But there are a number of military candidates there in Iran, Ken. Is that meaning that uh, Iran wants to get more active in the military events, trying to destroy the Jewish state and take control of the entire Middle East? No, I think what you're seeing here is more of a, almost a nationalist movement in Iran. There are many people inside the military, including the Revolutionary Guard, who see themselves as Persian nationalists. Now, as Persian nationalists, some of them, like Mohsen Razai, the former commander of the Revolutionary Guards, have even suggested in public that Iran should drop its hostility towards a Jewish state because that has nothing to do with Iran's national security interests. And there are many like him inside the Revolutionary Guard. That, again, is something that people might find counterintuitive, but there is this strain of belief inside the Reb Guards that the Islamic nature of the regime, including the Islamic nature of the Revolutionary Guards, is leading Iran astray, and they would like to return to Persian nationalism, a strong Iran in the Persian Gulf, whose natural enemies are more Saudi Arabia uh, than Israel. Great insight coming from the man here on Prophecy Today, our broadcast partner, who covers geopolitical events, Ken Timmerman. He's an author. He's a world traveler. He's been a correspondent in these war zones. He knows of what he speaks when he gives us this insight. Ken, thank you so much, my good friend. We'll have another conversation next week. Thank you so much, Jimmy. God bless. Going to take a quick break. When we come back, David Dolan, he is going to give us his Middle East news update. It's key on this special edition of Prophecy Today, Israel at War, and it's all ahead right here 
on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. I want to remind you that I do have a website. It's prophecytoday.com. This is a full-service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and five-hour audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section, and then I list the top 10 news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark is prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. This is a special edition of Prophecy Today, Israel at War. We're trying to get the broadcast partners here to come to the broadcast table and give us all the information that we need to know about this conflict in the Middle East focused on Jerusalem, the Gaza Strip, and some of the other borders with the Jewish state. That's why we're going to bring David Dolan. He has information about what's happening from Lebanon and Jordan as well. And David, talk to me, if you will. I understand that Israel has launched a ground war and or airstrikes on Gaza as well. However, there's some debate as to whether the troops are actually going into Gaza. Can you clear this all up for us? Well, Jimmy, it all began with a tweet in English from the IDF military spokesman at midnight on Thursday that said, we are attacking the Gaza Strip by air and also on the ground. Well, that was interpreted by media outlets all over the world that a ground offensive into the Gaza Strip itself had begun. That turns out not to have been the case. Uh, what they were saying is that they were firing into the Gaza Strip. Ground forces were uh, tank fire, artillery fire, etc., from the Israeli side of the border, not from in the Gaza Strip. Jimmy, some speculated this was a deliberate tweet to kind of confuse the situation from the Israeli forces, 
meant to lure the Hamas people into the tunnels that Israel's been attacking. They call it the Metro Underground. It's like a subway system that the Palestinians have built since the last main conflict in 2014. And indeed, they've been hiding their rockets and missiles and a lot of their personnel in those tunnels when they feel necessary. Well, uh, it forced some of them to come out of the tunnels because they thought, oh, ground forces are on the way. I mean, the reports I'm getting is that there's not enough Israeli troops stationed right now along the border for a full ground invasion. We know that uh, that would mean a ground invasion. Many, many Israeli casualties, because you're right in the midst of the, of the battle if you do that. So I think it's unlikely they will go in as long as they can hit enough Hamas targets from the air. And as uh, we've all seen on uh, the reports during the week, They've hit many Hamas leaders, uh, buildings, housing, Hamas personnel and offices, and on uh, Thursday and Friday, the homes of senior Hamas leaders and Islamic Jihad, the other terror group stationed uh, or operating from the Gaza Strip. So that's what seems to be happening. We still may see a ground uh, assault, but I think that would only come after uh, many more days of, quote, softening up the Hamas targets by airstrikes. David, talk to us about what's happening from Lebanon into northern Israel and from the eastern part of the Middle East, from Jordan, there in two, going westward into Israel. Well, Jimmy, today we have something called social media. You can put out notices quickly and get a crowd together very, very quickly. That's been happening not only along the borders, but inside of Israel and in the Judea and Samaria, the West Bank. But yes, on Friday, there were uh, hundreds of Palestinians and uh, their supporters gathered in Matula, near Matula, in northern Galilee. But a larger demonstration, much larger, occurred near the Allenby Bridge, which the Jordanians call the King Hussein Bridge. And that was thousands of Jordanians had marched there, again, under social media urging, shouting again about Al-Aqsa. And they tried to cross into Israel itself, but the Jordanian forces stopped them. The Jordanians do not want to see this new violence spread into their country. There have been protests and demonstrations throughout the world, but certainly throughout the Middle East, in Turkey on Friday, in the Gulf states, and in Amman, and all over the place, Beirut. So that was what was happening there, but they did not get in. But it is a sign that this could develop into a full regional Arab-Israeli conflict, and of course Iran also uh, backing Hamas and Islamic Jihad very much. And Hezbollah, we did have some rockets come in from Lebanon on Thursday, but the Lebanese said it was a small uh, Palestinian group that fired them, not Hezbollah. But if they do come in, then of course the war expands significantly. David, what do you know about the Hamas ultimatum to Israel to get off of the Temple Mount or 100 times more rockets will fly into and aimed at Jerusalem? What do you know? Well, they issued that on Wednesday, just as on Monday they had said that Israel must pull out of uh, the Sheikh Jarrah neighborhood north of Jerusalem, where some of this trouble began several weeks ago. Of course, it all did begin in Jerusalem, is now spread everywhere. But that ultimatum was uh, issued. Of course, the Israelis are not going to leave any part of Jerusalem. They have a police station up on the Temple Mount that they're going to continue to maintain. 
there was indeed a barrage, another barrage of rockets soon after that 6 p.m. deadline that they had issued. But the fact that they're issuing these ultimatums to Israel indicates that they are prepared for a fully uh, wide war here. But I can tell you the assessment at the end of the week was that Israel has done tremendous damage uh, to the Hamas infrastructure in the Gaza Strip. Uh, but it hasn't stopped that group and Islamic Jihad from firing hundreds and hundreds. Actually, it's uh, thousands now of rockets into Israel. David, you talked earlier with me about how the situation in Gaza was intensifying. I understand now Hamas wants to call a ceasefire, but Israel says they are ruling out any truce with Hamas. They're ready to stay and fight if they need to, to shut this thing down, aren't they? Well, Jimmy, of course, the rocket attacks began with an attack on Jerusalem. That's Israel's eternal capital city, the heart of its government. That was very, very audacious. We did see some rockets uh, aimed at Israel in 2014, but this was more extensive. And by the way, the Palestinians are boasting they have more advanced rockets than they had then, and we've seen proof of that. They fired at the southern town of Elat at the airport there where flights were being diverted from Ben-Gurion Airport because it was being attacked. And uh, then uh, they said that they were sending rockets to the north of Israel. They did that before, but now the Israelis believe they have one rocket that can hit all the way to the Sea of Galilee. That's uh, oh, 180 miles away. So that's very, very significant. This, of course, all because of Iran, Iran providing them with these weapons, more advanced, just as they are in Lebanon, and the Israelis have a bigger conflict on their hand. But that attack on Jerusalem was a red line, and the Israelis are going to continue to do as much damage as they can to the Hamas infrastructure and leadership, command posts, these underground tunnels, and uh, then they may actually go in on the ground a little bit later. So that is the situation. Israel did, didn't invite this, certainly didn't ask for rockets to be sent to their capital city. Hamas did this over some pretty flimsy things. We don't have time to go into the Sheikh Jarrah dispute, for instance, but that's Jewish-owned land that the Palestinians took over in 1948, the Jews trying to get it back. Uh, just a mess, but uh, no, this is not uh, over anytime soon, as Prime Minister Netanyahu reiterated on Friday. David, I'm here in America, of course, and I'm watching the media reporting on the situation there in Israel and at the Gaza Strip. The world media really doing an injustice in reporting on this and actually fueling the conflict, are they not? Well, and what's new? This has been going on for decades. When I worked uh, for CBS, I had several heated discussions with my editors over how the whole thing was being portrayed. And, uh, you know, Israel, this is the same story we've seen over and over again. The Palestinians or Hezbollah or others provoke, 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 push, 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 and do things that are beyond the red line, uh, like attacking Jerusalem with rockets. And then Israel responds, and within a couple days, Israel's the aggressor, Israel's killing civilians, Israel's doing all this. Well, the last thing they wanted on Jerusalem Day was to go to war. Uh, they did that to Jerusalem. They, you know, commemorates an earlier war in which Israel won control of the eastern part of Jerusalem and the old city. And uh, they didn't want this. They didn't invite this. They didn't invite Iran to set up bases in the north and in Syria and Lebanon. And uh, they didn't invite Hamas to take over the Gaza Strip. 
Israel pulled out in 2005. They are not occupying it, as some of the media is saying. Uh, the media, Jimmy, they do their best, I think, but uh, their best is usually not very good. And a lot of them are sent into the region when there's a conflict from other places. That's happening now in the news organizations, and they really don't know the background of the story. It's very complicated, very complex, and uh, we get some, I would say, pretty lopsided reporting coming out of there. That's the voice of David Dolan, long-time journalist in the Middle East, over 30 years, and he's a truth-teller. That's why we have him as a broadcast partner right here on Prophecy Today. Thank you so much, David. Uh, Stay safe, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week with more reports. If we need to, we'll come back to you and get some reports. But thank you for this one today. Well, thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. Winky Madad standing by in his center part of the State of Israel to give us additional information. Maurice Hirsch is going to talk about the Palestinians, how the Palestinian media is helping to incite all of this violence. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're moving into our second half hour of this special edition of Prophecy Today, Israel at War. Now that may not be completely true, but we're trying to get the reports from our broadcast partners that will help us to determine if that's the case or not. We're going right now to Winky Madad. He lives in Shiloh, which is the center part of the state of Israel. And Winky, have you had any of the effects of what's going on in this violent conflict there in Shiloh as of yet? An immediate direct engagement, uh, no. Usually, sometimes we have to discuss the violence out here in the form of stone throwing, occasional shooting, and car ramming. However, this past few days now, we've been out of the range of the rockets, so we don't have to run off to a secure room or any have any sort of dealings with getting up in the middle of the night, thank God. But, of course, most of the rest of the country... From about Netanya all the way down to a lot uh, has been suffering for the past three or four days now of the rocket fire. Yes, I know that's happening in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, all across the country that you've just described, and there at the Gaza Strip. We're watching the news here in the West in America. 
it seems pretty intense. Is it as bad as they're reporting it? What's the situation as of right now, Winky? Well, I'd say anything is bad when you have a terrorist organization like Hamas feeling free and able to shoot off. At this point, Jimmy, I'm sure we're about 1,500 rockets so far. About 99% of them have been fired into civilian residential sections or schools indiscriminately, I must say. And so, therefore, uh, the situation is that while we probably could handle it better militarily, as you know, and we've been discussing Gaza and Hamas for a couple of years now, Israel is portrayed in the media as some sort of a giant uh, that must not use disproportionate force against the Hamas, who hide their rocket launchers in civilian areas and use apartment buildings as their strategic headquarters and intelligence services, etc. Today my questioning deals with the cause behind this conflict, Winky. If you can give us some information, I understand it was the end of Ramadan and, of course, Jerusalem Day this last week. All of this, a major factor in what's happening. But do you see and or understand any other causes for the conflict? Well, Jim, it's kind of difficult to discuss that in a short period of time. And if you had some pro-Palestinian Arab person discussing this with me, we'd get into a bit of a fight uh, as to exactly what is the cause. I could say that the cause is that the fact that the Arabs lost in 1948 and they're still trying to get back. But if you're talking about immediate causes, we've had here during the month of Ramadan a series, I hope everybody knows, and I barely know, I'll admit that, what TikTok is, the short 15-second video clips that people usually put up about themselves exercising or taking the dog out uh, for a walk. But here in Israel, the Arabs were showing how they were beating on Jews on the, the light rail here or Damascus Gate or other places, knocking off their hats, smacking them around. And from there on, it got out of hand because Israel closed down the Temple Mount. It didn't help. Thousands of Arabs got on there, began throwing stones. The police had to take over the place. And Hamas says, oh, we're going to free Al-Aqsa. If you completely reverse the narrative as they do, you'll never get at a cause. Combine it with the Sheikh Jarrah property dispute, etc. Uh, it's even getting a little bit too complex, even for me, Jimmy. Actually, I introduced our conversation by saying this is a special edition of a prophecy today, Israel at war. Now, that may be a bit of overstatement, but is that pretty close to actual fact, Winky? Uh, very close. First of all, at the moment, I know that Israel has thousands of troops gathering at the border. I do not know, uh, with their military equipment, I must say, including tanks and, and armored vehicles, I cannot say where that is, I'm not going to say bluffing, but sort of indicating to Hamas that we're serious. I don't know if a land operation is in the works. Hopefully we'll be able to deplete Hamas from its current armed stores sooner than later. But what is more difficult, Jimmy, is you and, and our listeners are probably also seeing that there's internal confrontations here in the cities that have a significant Arab population as well. Ramla, Lod, Akko, and in the Galil, where Arabs have been attacking Jews, Jews have been attacking Arabs, 
In fact, it's so much getting out of hand that uh, the latest news on Thursday was that Naftali Bennett has suspended negotiations with Yair Lapid, and he's opening up coalition negotiations with Benjamin Netanyahu, which completely reverses our internal political uh, situation. So it's, things are really getting very complicated, Jimmy. Winky, is the election process and the forming of a coalition government, is that playing any role in this conflict? Does it make Israel look weak, thus their enemies can come after them? I would say yes. Unfortunately, Jimmy, ever since the mandate days, Arabs have always overestimated the weakness that the Jewish people in the land of Israel display at times when we argue among ourselves. However, uh, about 95% of us all agree on a strong, safe, and secure state of Israel, uh, not only for those living here, but for those who are coming here and for the future days. So they take advantage of that sometimes, and some of our weak-hearted Jews lend them support, whether here in Israel or those who write on the pages of the New York Times or who run around to the more radical wing of the Democratic Party in Washington, and perhaps they overestimated their strength in the sense of, of public opinion. Although, I don't know how far abroad we can go, Jimmy, but in Germany, in England, and other places, there have been some very vicious demonstrations, not against Israel consulates or embassies, but at synagogues. So automatically they identify Jews as if they must be guilty of some Zionist plot, which, between you and me, Jimmy, is simply age-old anti-Semitism. Age-old anti-Semitism, which is the basis for most of the violence against the Jewish people today, as is the case throughout history. Winky, you mentioned Natali Bennett going to meet with Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, sounds like they're talking about forming a government that would be a right-wing government. Is that a viable possibility at this time? To be truthful, Jimmy, it's only true. That can only be if either Gidon Saar's New Hope Party, in whole or in part, comes over. The numbers still are in the area of 58, 59. And now that we've had this uh, intercommunal contretemps and violence and at such, no one now can depend even on the uh, moderate Arab party even to support the government from without. In other words, not being part of the government, but in the Knesset will not vote for the no-confidence votes. Uh, it's getting very, very Byzantine, if I can use that word, in the sense of too many variants and elements that can be judged properly even by your humble servant, me. Well, I know you're not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but this sounds like a possibility for a fifth election. Is that viable possibility there for us? It always is, Jimmy, and I'm afraid that too many Israelis have come to enjoy the day off on election day. Winky Madad giving us the information that we need from the Jewish perspective 
As it relates to the conflict in Israel, our special edition of Prophecy Today, Israel at War, almost correct in its statement. Winky, be safe. Keep your head down, my good friend. And thank you so much. We'll talk again, I'm sure, very soon now in the future. Jimmy, thank you very much. And goodbye to you and our listeners. Very important conversation with Winky Madad from the Jewish perspective, talking about this conflict that is seemingly intensifying on a daily basis. And then a quick update on the election process to form a unity government. In order to be fair and balanced, we're going now to talk with Maurice Hirsch. Maurice is a member of the team Palestinian Media Watch, headed up by Itamar Marcus. We often have Itamar, but Maurice is going to fill in today and talk to us from the prophetic perspective as it relates to the Palestinian people and what the information is coming from their media that may help us to understand the conflict. First of all, I know that you live in Ithrat, which is south of Jerusalem, about 20 miles. Have you been affected by any of the missiles coming out of the Gaza Strip? Uh, good evening, Jerry. Good afternoon uh, uh, to everyone. Um, we actually haven't been affected by the missiles uh, to any great extent. The missiles that terrorists in Gaza shoot are all statistical weapons, and we live in close proximity to Bethlehem. They're our direct neighbors, and uh, terrorists even fear firing rockets to this great length in the fear that they might not hit Jews, but they might actually kill the Arabs uh, that live next to us. So thank God we've been uh, relatively safe from the rocket fire. Maurice, what do you think the Palestinian claims are for the cause of this present violence? What are they saying this is the reason for it? Jimmy, you have to understand this, what the Palestinians are openly saying, what the cause of the violence is, and what the real cause of the violence is. The Palestinians, each one of them, society is broken up in, in, in very broad terms into two political groups. Fatah, run by Mahmoud Abbas, the current leader, uh, president of the, of the Palestinian Authority, and Hamas, the fundamental Islamic terrorists that control the Gaza Strip. Each one of them is saying that this current conflict is for them to defend the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the mosque on the, on the Temple Mount, they refer to the whole uh, complex of the Temple Mount as Al-Aqsa, and they are the defenders of Al-Aqsa against Israeli aggression against Al-Aqsa. That's what they're selling to their people. The real story, though, Jimmy, is something completely different. Six months ago, when uh, Joe Biden was elected, he really strong-armed the Palestinian Authority into holding elections for the first time in 15 years. In the last elections in 2006, Hamas won. Mahmoud Abbas quickly got rid of them, deposed the government, and threw them out. Hamas then, a year later, violently took control of the Gaza Strip, and they've been controlling the Gaza Strip since 2007. In Judea and Samaria, it's Fatah. It's run by Fatah, controlled by Fatah, and don't let Hamas have any type of um, inlet. When the elections were called because of this need to ostensibly renew the legitimacy of the Palestinian leadership, everybody who commentates on the Palestinian uh, scene knew that this would be a mistake. Mahmoud Abbas knows that if he goes to elections, 
his Fatah party will lose. They lost in 2006, and they'll lose again now, partly because the population supports Hamas, the, the fundamentalists, and partly because the population is sick of the cronyism and corruption of, of Fatah. So Mahmoud Abbas needed to, to call these elections because he wanted the renewed uh, funding from the United States. The Europeans also had their hand in that idea. As this election date became closer, it became more and more clear that Fatah was going to lose, and therefore they cancelled the elections. He simply cancelled the elections. It's a, it's a simple dictatorship. And, but to, in order to ensure that they had a reason to cancel the elections, Fatah has already been working for two or three weeks before the holy month of Ramadan, which just ended now, Muslim uh, holy month of Ramadan, started in the middle of April, went on, it's just finishing actually uh, uh, tonight. And in preparation for that month of Ramadan, which is traditionally a time for heightened incitement and heightened violence focusing on the Jews, preparing for that and preparing to cancel the elections, Mahmoud Abbas and Fatah and the Palestinian Authority really ranked up their incitement, showing video clips on television, calling on the Palestinians to, to strap on their suicide belts and go and blow themselves up on the Jews. That's some of the incitement that we've seen going along all the way through this period, and the Palestinians answered that call, and they started their violence. Now, since Fatah was seen as the one who had initiated the violence, and Fatah was the, now the one on the Temple Mount fighting with the Israeli policemen and fighting with um, the Israeli soldiers, Hamas needed to show its colors as also the defender of uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque. They couldn't leave the political scene just empty only for Fatah, so how does Hamas, which controls Gaza, show their credentials as the defenders of, of Al-Aqsa? They start firing missiles at Israel, because that's how they show their credentials. That's how they prove we, too, are the defenders of the Al-Aqsa Mosque, of the Holy Shrine. That's what's really going on. Whilst they will claim it's a result of Israeli aggression, it has nothing to do with Israel's actions, Israel's policies, Israel's inaction, nothing whatsoever. It's all a question of internal Palestinian politics. There's a, a 19th century uh, famous military theorist called uh, Clausewitz who says that war is just the continuation of politics with violent means. That's exactly what's playing out in the Palestinian scene. But instead of the violent means being internal, they are, both sides are turning their violence, Fatah and Hamas are turning their violence onto Israel and onto the Jewish population. Talk to me about Hamas. Do they not realize that the Israeli Defense Force could actually wipe the entire Gaza Strip off the face of the earth if they wanted to, or are they just going to continue to fight till they're all killed? Well, so, Jimmy, as I'm sure uh, Itamar has told you and your listeners over and over again, sadly for Hamas, for the fundamentalists, they have no real value for life. They consider dying for the cause, receiving that uh, level of martyrdom, um, as it were, which is something desirable, and therefore they see no value in life. So it doesn't matter if Israel returns fire. The people who die are suddenly martyrs. They become the, the, the holy warriors. That idea of sanctity of life, of perpetuating life, is just not something that sadly exists. Even on PA television, you have... Mothers telling a little girl, that we, uh, a video they recorded a while ago, of a little girl telling a story of a boy who, who wanted to get a present from his mother for doing well on the test. So his mother gave him a Kalachnikov. 
She told him, you weren't born to be happy. You are simply the ammunition for the rebellion against Israel. This is a mother talking that way to their child. This is unfortunately something that Israel needs to deal with when you're talking with interlockers and, and you assume that you're both on the same page. You both see value to life. You both see that, that our children are our future. Let me ask this, Maurice. Do you believe that Hamas and Mahmoud Abbas's people there in Jerusalem are going to continue and this basically could go into a full-blown war in the very near future? So, Jimmy, I don't know what would be defined as a full-blown war. I think a situation in which one side has Hamas has fired already by today over 1,300 missiles at the Israeli civilian population. I think with the exception of giving it that official name tag of a war, I think this is a war already. We've been talking with Maurice Hirsch, who is a member of the Palestinian Media Watch team, who monitors both the electronic and the print media, but has great insight into what the Palestinian people think, what Hamas thinks. And he's brought that to our attention today. A very important report from Maurice. Maurice, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again if we need to in the very near future. Thanks very much for having me. Keep safe. You too. Thank you so much. Very important report from Maurice Hirsch on the Palestinian role in the conflict going on not only in Jerusalem, all across Israel, and in particular at the Gaza Strip. We'll stay in touch with both Winky and Maurice to hear the latest information with the perspective on either the Jews and or then the Palestinians as well. Let me remind you that I have a Prophecy Bookstore on my website, the website address prophecytoday.com. Let me suggest a DVD which is entitled Signs of the Times. We look at the book of Ezekiel, chapters 34 through 48. This would be of great assistance to you in your study of Bible prophecy. The title of this DVD documentary, Signs of the Times, go to my prophecy bookstore and there you can make your purchase. Well, there's some information that we need to know out of the European Union as it relates to the conflict or the results across the world, in fact, of what is happening in this very important region of the world, the Middle East, and in particular Jerusalem and the State of Israel. The man who covers the European Union for us, John Rood, lived there in Brussels, Belgium for over 30 years, knows that area very, very well. And, John, I understand that the European Jewish Congress is talking about hateful and false narrative about Israel and what's going on, actually fueling the hate and attacks on Jews there in Europe. Give us the latest update. Yeah, the European Jewish Congress really makes a response to the type of propaganda saying essentially that the Jewish community in Europe brings this on themselves, which, of course, is just absolutely ludicrous. And so in response to the continuing conflict in Israel, as you've mentioned, there's been a number of anti-Semitic events 
burning uh, Israeli flags, attacks on fire on synagogues, anti-Israeli rallies, and so forth. And this has been in a number of cities, of Berlin, Munster, Dusseldorf. It's funny that when these things arise, then right away, you know, opposing forces try to spin it. And uh, so the European Jewish Congress is the organization that comes out and says this actually uh, needs to be strongly condemned, and we uh, don't expand any of the current attacks on the Jewish state into the Jewish communities in Europe, which is what has been happening. Well, is this a part of the Islamic influx into the European Union, and in fact all of Europe, their base there, and then helping to fan the fires of violence against the Jewish people? Does Islamic activity and presence in the European Union play a role in this as well? I would believe that there are definitely Islamic extremist groups that are behind the organization and uh, acting of these events, uh, absolutely. I guess many people, if they haven't been there, they don't understand that European cities have very large uh, Islamic populations, and sometimes there's a very defiant attitude. And so bringing Israel into the picture, it easily inflames what's uh, already there. Talk to me about Canada. And in Canada, there's a report of a pastor who actually kicked cops out of his church on the Easter service. However, they came back to arrest him, having charges against him of an illegal gathering having more people than they were allowed to by Canadian law. Give us the details. This particular event was in Calgary, one of the western provinces of Canada, Alberta. And Alberta actually has imposed on churches that the number of people that can attend is a maximum of 15. So some of the churches, uh, you know, have felt that to be pointed action towards the Christians. And so at some times, uh, sometimes it's sort of the breaking point for some of these. And the particular pastor was arrested for not uh, taking the police directive. The police have come out and said, you know, they don't want to infringe on the right of faith-based gatherings. And they want to, of course, uh, ensure everybody's safety. But it, it does appear to be quite extreme that any church of any size could only have 15 people, and of course maybe the local Walmart has uh, 3,000 in at the same time. So, uh, yes, there was a reaction here that seemed to be quite exaggerated, but the underlying fact is Christian groups can be discriminated against, and certainly I've seen that a great deal in, in Western Europe. Very interesting illustration talking about Walmart with all the shoppers there as compared to a gathering of Christians wanting to have a worship service. That's only a foretaste of things to come, not only in Canada, but the United States and across the world. John, one of your buddies has made an interesting statement. Socialism, he says, is dead in England, and it came about because of the downfall of the open border liberal party that is active or has been in the United Kingdom. Talk to us about that. Nigel Farage, of course, uh, was the leader of the United Kingdom Independence Party, then went on to form his own party as well. 
He had a radio program that was the most popular program in British history and uh, was the driving force behind Brexit, which we know is highly successful. Uh, I would be attending some of the, of the meetings in London. We would probably be in a room of 60 to 80 people, and yet uh, just that small grassroots movement is what uh, accelerated into the entire Brexit, and, it, and they got it done. Uh, so Nigel is currently on tour in the United States, and actually he spoke uh, last night in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and a friend of mine attended, gave me an update, said that uh, Nigel has just met with President Trump and so forth and uh, encouraging him about the 2020 uh, midterms. But Nigel has brought out the fact that the Labor Party completely overplayed their, their views, and the working-class people, they're not going to go for this continued mass migration, open-doors policy, assaults on British heritage, etc. So uh, he's rightly stated that the voters came out by the millions for Brexit, and they're going to vote uh, from now on with the United Kingdom uh, Conservative Party, not the Labor Party. And so uh, seems to be quite a trend that's there, and uh, it was successful. And the Labor Party, as he's saying now, is in an existential crisis. Socialism is dead in, in England. Hurrah. That is uh, Nigel Farage's statement. Interesting parallels between the United Kingdom and the United States of America. John Rude, the man who covers the area of Europe and the European Union. John, great report. Thank you, buddy. We'll talk again next week. Thank you very much. We've got one more broadcast partner. He comes in the next half hour, David James. We're going to compare Christianity and the conflict there in Israel. That's all ahead with David James right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We go into the last 30 minutes of the 90 minutes I've requested from you to give you the world from my broadcast partners reports that you will not hear in mainstream media. And these reports today on this special edition of Prophecy Today, Israel at War. We want to give you the poll question, want to talk to you about a meeting upcoming, and then David James standing by with a very important conversation. Here's the poll question. It's on my website, prophecytoday.com. On the left-hand column, could the conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians in Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip going on now intensify and become the Gog-Magog war foretold in Ezekiel chapter 38, Psalm 83, and Daniel chapter 11. That's the poll question. Be sure to answer it. And next Sunday, we're talking about May the 23rd, we'll be in Columbia, South Carolina at the Capital City Baptist Church with Paul Monroe a one-day prophecy conference. Be sure to come and join us. We now bring to this microphone David James. David and I, with our weekly conversation, we focus on issues that 
the body of Christ needs to have a biblical understanding of. This time we're going to be focusing on the ongoing war in Israel and the Jewish people and Christians' reaction to what's happening in Israel. Stay tuned. It'll be a very important conversation. David, last week's listener's email was about the Great White Throne Judgment in Revelation chapter 20. And we're going to stay in Revelation again this week, this time concerning the identity of the child in John's vision there in chapter 12. Tell us about this. Sure. Well, our listener wrote this. I have a question regarding Revelation 12. I suppose this chapter is talking about the future and past events, but I'm not sure where we are right now in the timeline. In verse 5, it mentions a male child and then the child. So who do they both refer to? Is it the Lord Jesus Christ? Some Christians claim that the child refers to the church because he was snatched up to God and to his throne. So, Jimmy, beginning in verses 1 and 2, we read this. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Then in verses 4 and 5, John says, The dragon, which represents Satan, stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. So, Jimmy, the majority of dispensational Bible teachers believe that the woman represents Israel and the child represents Jesus Christ. I did find a number of older commentaries that aren't dispensational that suggest the child is the church, and I have heard that some say being caught up to heaven is the rapture, but I don't think the text supports this view at all. And we also need to remember that Revelation chapters 4 through 18 is directly tied to Daniel's 70th week, which is exclusively about Israel and the nations during the tribulation, and the church isn't seen after Revelation chapter 3 until chapter chapter 19, when we return with Christ. I agree with that to 100%, David. Praise the Lord for that great answer to that good question. Well, referring back again to last week's discussion, we talked about the war on Christianity. And with everything that's been happening in Israel this week, I wanted us to take a moment to talk about the ongoing war on Israel and the Jewish people. Well, Jimmy, as I'm sure our listeners know, especially after your conversation today, the situation there is incredibly complex, and it's pretty difficult to sort through. We hear the names of various groups and subgroups like Hamas and Hezbollah and Fatah and the Muslim Brotherhood and the Palestinian Liberation Organization, the PLO, which morphed into the Palestinian Authority. And all of these have both political and religious elements to them, especially in the broader Islamic context of Shiites and Sunnis. And so then it becomes uh, international across the Islamic world with a spectrum of stances toward Israel. And these range from open hostility and Iran's view of Israel as a little Satan, with America being the great Satan, to relatively peaceful coexistence with uh, some Islamic countries becoming uh, more open to diplomatic relations, for example, uh, Bahrain and the UAE through the Abraham Accords. And then there are factions within Israel, from Zionists to anti-Zionists, and interestingly, the anti-Zionist sentiment 
comes from both the ultra-Orthodox on the one side, the secular Jews on the other, but for obviously different reasons. And then you have opposing views within Christendom, from Zionism to anti-Zionism, and from those who stand with Israel on the basis of the Abrahamic covenant, and then the Judeo-Christian heritage of the United States, for example, and then there are others who say the Church has replaced Israel in God's program, with some of those being totally pro-Palestinian. And then you have some Christians who have a misguided view of Zionism, and they think they can hasten the Lord's return through the rebuilding of the Temple, while others seek to harm the state of Israel to boycotts, divestment, and sanctions. David, as you did mention, I've had conversations already about what's going on. But uh, as we have reported this escalation of military operations, it's largely been because of the barrage of rocket attacks by Hamas there in the Gaza Strip. Can you give us any additional background on this group and anything about what their ultimate goals are? Well, I haven't been able to listen to all of your discussions with the other guests, so I may cover a little bit of some of the same territory. But the name Hamas is an acronym that means Islamic Resistance Movement in Arabic, and it's the Palestinian wing of the Muslim Brotherhood, which is a Sunni Islamic group that got its start back in the 1920s. And Hamas was born out of the first Intifada, which began in December of 87, and that, that was a reaction to what was seen as Israel's occupation of the West Bank and Jordan after the 67 war. And then Hamas's first strike against Israel was in the spring of 89 when they abducted and killed two Israeli soldiers. Then in 1990, things escalated when Hamas called for jihad and, and declared every Israeli soldier a target after 17 uh, Muslims at the uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque were killed uh, trying to prevent Orthodox Jews from placing the cornerstone for the Third Temple. Then in 99, Hamas was banned in Jordan, apparently because Jordan thought they would jeopardize peace negotiations toward a two-state solution between Israel and the Palestinian Authority. And then during the second intifada that began in 2000, Hamas was responsible for about 40% of the 135 suicide attacks during that time, and there have been sporadic and sometimes intense conflict since then, such as this week. And then in 2012, a Hamas uh, MP said this, a member of parliament said this, Jews are behind every catastrophe on the face of the earth. That is not open to debate. So, Jimmy, Hamas's original charter called for Israel's destruction, and even though that language was moderated in the new charter in 2017, it still calls for the liberation of Palestine, and anyone who thinks they'll be satisfied with a two-state solution is either ignorant of the situation or just foolish. Great background information there, David. Appreciate your research so very much. You know, Muslim extremists are not the only ones who don't think that Israel has a right to exist as a homeland for the Jewish people. And in fact, there's a Bible college that's located in Bethlehem that is on the forefront of anti-Israel crusades by Christians, or so-called Christians. Talk to us about that particular school. Right. Well, the name of that school is Bethlehem Bible College, and it was started in 1979 and bills itself as a Christian evangelical college. But you have to wonder about its evangelical commitments because its first board of directors was formed with leaders from uh, different backgrounds, including Orthodox, Catholic, Lutheran, Anglican, and self-identified evangelicals. 
And now on their website, they have a three-point mission statement, which says they are to train people to serve Christ in the world, to advocate a Palestinian evangelical perspective, and to model Christ through community development. And its courses are accredited through the Middle East Association for Theological Education, the Palestinian Ministry of Higher Education, and several international theological organizations. Now, there was a 2014 Jerusalem Post article that had this to say, though. There is another side to BBC not evident on their website. The school has a deeply entrenched anti-Israel position demonstrated through statements and publications of leaders associated with the school, and the biennial Christ at the Checkpoint Conference is sponsors. And the article went on to say, most recently, its media center produced a video that employs numerous errors and false accusations in a blatant attempt to demonize Israel. And the Christ at the Checkpoint website says this, Jimmy, their mission is to challenge evangelicals to take responsibility to help resolve the conflicts in Israel and Palestine by engaging with the teaching of Jesus on the kingdom of God. But, Jimmy, this is misleading, because that would involve Israel giving up both their sovereignty and their security. You know, David, I do believe it goes without saying. One of the big issues in all of this is the argument that Israel has no right to the land, which would probably be the majority view throughout all of Christendom. And unfortunately, this is a growing sentiment even among those who would call themselves evangelicals. Well, you're right, Jimmy, and it comes down to a failure to understand the nature of God's covenants. God made four eternal, unilateral, unconditional covenants with his people, and because of their nature, God won't break his promises, and Israel's failure cannot remove her from the covenants. For the Abrahamic covenant, in Genesis 15, God put Abraham to sleep and pledged only himself to the covenant, requiring nothing from Abraham. In the land covenant, at the end of Deuteronomy, God promised he would bring Israel back to the land even after judging them for unfaithfulness. The Davidic covenant, in Second Samuel 7, God promised that even if a descendant of David sinned, he wouldn't remove his love as he did from Saul, and he clearly stated that David's throne would be established forever. And for the New Covenant in Jeremiah 31, God says, and I'm paraphrasing here, if the universe can collapse on its own, then Israel will no longer be a nation before him. So, Jimmy, the land that God promised to Abraham from the Nile to the Euphrates belongs to Israel by God's decree, and that includes all or parts of Israel, Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, and Iraq. And we also need to understand that national Israel's future in God's program is just as secure as our own salvation in Christ because of what it means to be related to God through eternal unconditional covenants. Okay, David, uh, that's been a great discussion thus far. I want you to remind all of us some things that we believe we need to keep in mind as believers and as we watch the present daily escalation that's happening in Israel right now. Well, Jimmy, first we need to hope and pray that there's de-escalation soon, because it wouldn't take too much for this to quickly turn into World War III. Imagine if just a single stray rocket would hit the Temple Mountain, who would get the blame for it? Uh, secondly, there are men, women, and children of all ages on both sides who just want to go through life peacefully, but their lives are being upended by the actions of a few. 
another thing is that while we don't blindly support everything that Israel does, and we recognize that our political and mil- military leaders are capable of making unwise and even immoral decisions, they do have a right to defend themselves against those whose primary goal in life is their destruction. You know, I saw a comment the other day that if Hamas loved their own people as much as they hate Israel, this wouldn't be happening right now. And finally, there are brothers and sisters in Christ on both sides of this conflict, and we need to pray for their protection and for the opportunity to share the love of Christ with family, friends, and neighbors, because he is their only hope. Indeed, he is the only hope, that blessed hope. David, great discussion today. I'm glad that uh, we agreed this is what we needed to focus on, along with all the others that I've had on this special edition of Prophecy Today, Israel at War. We needed this aspect to be in our conversation as well today. Thank you so much. We'll have another conversation next week. Thanks, Jimmy. I always look forward to it. Going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'll take the reports from my broadcast partners and compare them to what God's prophetic word has to say. I'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set. Every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we had a special edition of the program, Israel at War. 
All six of my broadcast partners came with information to the broadcast table dealing with the conflict in the Middle East. This is reporting that you will not hear on mainstream media. In fact, mainstream media across the world, without the facts, is actually fueling this conflict. Today's edition of Prophecy Today Weekend is key to your understanding of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, both politically and prophetically. Before I give you my prophetic perspective on this conflict and the reports from my broadcast partners, let me remind you that if you missed any of these reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there we have archived these reports so that you can listen to them at your convenience. And be sure to tell a family member or a friend about these reports and how they can listen to them as well. Now to my prophetic perspective on these reports. Ken Timmerman, who covers the geopolitical arena across the world, came with the information that the radical terrorists are thanking Iran for the supply of the munitions, rockets, and missiles that are being used in the conflict. Both Iran and the Palestinians will be major players in the end-time scenario found in God's Word. Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5 pertaining to Iran when it mentions Persia. And Ezekiel 35 referring to the people of Mount Seir that would be the Palestinian people of today. Therefore, no surprise that Iran is supplying the rockets and missiles to Hamas. David Dolan with his Middle East News update was very busy today telling us of an intense attack on terrorists in the Gaza Strip on the ground and from the air as well. Islamic terrorists have only one desire and that is to wipe Israel off the face of the earth and make sure that her name is forgotten forever. That's directly from the prophetic word of God, Psalm 83 and verse 4. Winky Madad gave us a report on what's going on in the conflict from a Jewish perspective. He reminded us that the end of Ramadan and the Jerusalem Day celebrations happening at the same time sparked this conflict. You know, God has promised the Jewish people the city of Jerusalem forever. That's Second Samuel chapter 7 and verse 10, the Davidic covenant. Therefore, these activities we see today will continue to ignite the Israeli-Palestinian conflict as indeed we are seeing today. Maurice Hirsch, who is with Palestinian Media Watch, talked about the Palestinian media being used to incite the Palestinians to kill Jews. The Palestinians are major players in the last days, Ezekiel 35, and the little book of Obadiah. 
the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It will continue until the Lord Jesus Christ returns to the earth at his second coming and then destroys the Palestinian people forever as if they have never been. John Rood, covering the European Union for us, tells us that Muslims in the European Union are attacking Jews and synagogues because of the conflict. You know, the word Muslim is not used in the Bible, but the Islamic nations are all mentioned. The European Union is a hotbed for Islamic terror. That is a scenario for the last days. And David James came to the broadcast table to tell us that a bad eschatology or a bad theology which denies God's plan for the Jewish people can cause very bad destruction. Some Christians deny that Jews have a right to their God-given land. A wrong eschatology or theology, as I said, can cause terrible destruction. You and I must study God's prophetic word. Our mission here at Prophecy Today is to help you understand the times in which we are living. We do that by posting the top 10 news stories on a daily basis on our homepage of our website, prophecytoday.com. And then we give you materials that will assist you in studying Bible prophecy, those materials at my prophecy bookstore. Let me just remind you, the fact is that one in every three pages of God's Word is Bible prophecy. All 66 books of the Bible have Bible prophecy information for you and I to study and come to an understanding of. Our desire is to do what the Lord told Daniel when he said, since you set your heart to understand the times, and that is key to what God wants us to do today. By the way, that passage, Daniel chapter 10 and verse 12. Let me remind you that if you missed any of these reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there we have archived these reports so that you can listen to them at your convenience. And be sure to tell a family member or a friend about these reports and how they can listen to them as well. You know, each and every one of the reports on this special edition of Prophecy Today, Israel at War, has been tangible evidence that the rapture is near. In fact, it could happen even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Mm-hmm.